Hey guys, uh, welcome to the debrief. This is our episode after the episode with Representative Tom Emmer. Cool to get someone sitting in Congress on Bankless, David. I don't think we've ever had that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting to see all the regulators and, and politicians and politician types. Uh, they like they like to use they they are eloquent. They they use like fancy language. They like go like he he goes on a little bit. It has some like weird uh, unexpected rabbit holes to go down and some uh, uh, metaphors. Are you, that are I you wasn't. telling me politicians are good at talking, David? Yeah, that's exactly oh, what I'm wow. saying. Yeah, like, <laughs> poly- <laughs> they they like to have like these speeches, right? And so bringing yes. a politician onto the show is like, oh, I'm gonna hear a little bit of a speech here. It's cool though. I like I do, I don't hate it, especially when it's about, you know, substantive stuff and mm-hmm. it's not just kind of, you know, I don't know, the a, a lot of political speeches to me sounds, you know, just full of, I don't know, tru- truisms, very um surfacey. Mm-hmm. Uh this is Tom Emmer understands the issues that crypto is facing. Like he spent 6 years on this so far, which is amazing. Um one cool thing about his story is actually the influencers. It taught me the influencers that staffers can have on individual representatives of Congress, right? It's so like mm-hmm. he first figured out about crypto because one of his staffers like, hey, read this book. This is gonna be crypto is gonna be a big deal and you should get educated. And he did. And it's and and it's generally like, I don't want to stereotype, but it's generally like younger generations pulling older generations uh forward with them into crypto. And it just impressed upon me how important a role that actually is for for staffers on kind of the education side and how much influence they have. Uh, over what these representatives, you know, do and say, and maybe there's some staffers listening who are bankless subscribers, for instance, and so that's how the message kind of filters its way up through Congress. Uh, and I, I think that's actually the case. Is that the case? Like some of uh, Representative Emmer's staffers listen to Bankless, and that's how we all got connected, and why he's on the show. I, I think it's pretty likely that anyone who tries to keep up to speed with crypto in Congress probably listens to Bankless because we have their their uh, comrades, for lack of a better word, uh, on, <laughs> <laughs> on, on the show, right? And so they they got to listen in colleagues. on to uh, yeah, <laughs> colleagues. Thank you, not comrades. Uh, not although I am a fan of the comrade word. Um, uh, yeah, so like that is like, oh, let's hit, listen to what the other politicians are, are, are saying, right? And so I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, a lot of insightful things, I think. Um, one one insight for me was, you know, sometimes in crypto we feel like Washington D.C. hates us, and Representative Emmer, I don't think I think he's being realistic here, and he was just saying it's not that they hate you. Yeah, some of them some of them do hate crypto. Okay, that's that's true. They're kind of like institutionalist, you know, status. They're never gonna get on right. board. But there's this fat middle of undecided uh, members of Congress who just haven't quite taken a side. And in fact, it wasn't even on their radar until August of this year when the infrastructure uh, bill passed with some colossally stupid crypto language. Mm-hmm. And the crypto community rose up and said, nah, we're like, we care about this. We're pushing back against that. And that was sort of the, like, that echoed in the halls of Washington. Like Congress actually heard that. And now it seems like this fat middle is trying to figure out uh, what side should we be on? Should we go a little Elizabeth Warren right. or like, should we educate ourselves on the space and, you know, go where the votes and the, the capital are. And hopefully the, um, the U S the American ideals, at least the core founding principles of the U S as a nation state is on the crypto side too. So I didn't realize that there was this kind of fat middle of undecided still. I thought, People had kind of 
picked a side. And that came through to me in this conversation. I started off the conversation talking about how uh, politicians and regulators tend, uh, if they are into crypto, they tend to be big picture thinkers. And if they're not in crypto, they tend to be more um, uh, like short term or short, like short term focused. And I I think that's actually a fantastic dividing line. Uh, He he talked about how it's more like pro government versus anti government for the dividing line as to whether you're into crypto or not. But I also think there's a line about like, are you thinking what what time frames are you thinking about things in? And, and like the the bankless narrative, the bankless like thesis is we got to look in at like multi generational long time horizons. And one of the big critiques, the critique that Andrew Yang had about uh, our current democracy, is that it doesn't inst- uh, reward long term thinking. It rewards how do I get reelected in the next like two years? Yeah. Uh, and, and so like that is fundamentally at odds with the crypto industry, where the crypto industry. In my opinion, the best leaders of the crypto industry are thinking about how these things work in 100, 300, 500 years. And those people are not the same, do not share the same values as the people who are like, all right, like the, my, I'm up for election in the next like 12 months. What do I got to do to get reelected? Like those are inherently at odds with each other. And I think that's another dividing line that we can identify pro-crypto politicians versus anti-crypto politicians. Is like, I think the anti-crypto politicians are perhaps the politicians that are the most worried about re being reelected the, the next like year and are, are just thinking on short termerism basis. Yeah. And I, I do think though we can use that to our advantage, right? If the crypto voice votes and capital are strong enough, even those that are just like, I just, I'm just trying to get elected. Like I don't care about the big picture stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get elected. They'll, they will start to realize that their constituents bring the votes and the capital required to actually get them elected. That's why I do think the 2022 midterms for some key pro-crypto uh, candidates who have come out and said, hey, look, I'm pro-crypto, uh, they're going to be pretty key in driving that conversation forward. Um, you, you know, another interesting piece of this was when we got into this discussion about um, the legislative branch and what it can do. And in particular, this line kind of you know st- stuck out at me is basically Congress has to rein in the regulators. Mm-hmm. And after the show, I think you and I batted around this term, you know, shadowy super regulators, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The Gary Genslers of the world that are trying to like without real authority, just because there's this power vacuum and this clarity. Because no vacuum, one's telling them no. No one's telling them freaking no. So they're just like Congress is not going to do anything Mm because they don't do anything anymore Mm -hmm. so we'll just grab control and we'll take Gary Gensler is like I'll take that power thanks yeah (laughs) but they will and so will so will Janet Yellen in Treasury and it's like Congress isn't putting forward a central bank digital currency so like here's mine and it's (laughs) it's not the executive branch is not meant to do that like they're not meant to they're, they're meant to enforce policy that Congress puts in place, right? This is all the, the checks and balances. But if you have a Congress that is just doing nothing, like just doing absolutely nothing, then it makes room for the executive branch to come in and, and just do whatever they want. And what they want is usually pro-institution, pro-incumbent, pro-state like state power, and not representing of the people. And so that's exactly what's happening. So you know, his big thing is, you know, step one, we have to provide some clarity so that we can help the crypto industry step out of the shadows. Because literally, 
they're forcing us into the shadows on many of these things. Do you know if the token that you own or about to release is a security or not? No, like no one knows this. Like we don't know, we have no clarity. We have zero clarity. And the SEC is always like, it could be, maybe. Do you want to play that game? Like, you know, maybe you'll go to jail if you do this. Maybe you'll get fined if you do this. Like, and so he's talking about clarity and he's also talking about reining in the executive branch, reining in the regulators. And that's something that needs to happen. I hope Congress gets it done. I watched, um, while doing uh, some homework for the show, I watched uh, um, uh, Representative Emmer question Gary Gensler somewhere in some um, capacities. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean committee? Like a, like a Senate hearing? Kind yeah, of something meeting, like that. Yeah. Sort of- and, and he was talking to Gary Gensler about oh, sorry, uh, how- Senate. It would be the house. Yeah, whatever. Uh, he was asking, he was talking to Gary Gensler about how Gary Gensler wants all of these token issuers who he thinks of which are issuing securities to register with the SEC. But then Representative Emmer is like, all right, Gary, if they do that, where do they go trade the tokens? Uh, and and because if they if they register as a security, Coinbase can't trade them. Uh, all the DeFi exchanges technically are, are illegal securities exchanges. Where do they go trade all the tokens? And because the SEC is not giving these tokens an ability to be, to be traded somewhere after they register with the SEC, t- what are the tokens going to do? They're going to plummet in price because if you can't trade them, people are just going to sell them so they don't have to worry about it. And what is harming individuals? Well, if like we deem all these things as securities and like uh, because all the trading venues are di- disappear, the token's going to go to zero, who gets harmed? Who really gets harmed here? And so like- we're seeing first principles. We're again. seeing, yeah, we're seeing exactly. Gary Gensler is not doing the first principles thing about what is the security, what is the SEC trying to do, and he, instead he's doing this like weird snake biting his own tail. I'm in the SEC to for power. Like, forget why I'm here. In the, forget what the first principles of the SEC are in the first place. Which means that legislators have to take over Gary Gensler's job of reminding him that he's here to protect the people. And so the 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 rain because we have not reined in these regulators, uh, we have extra work to do. Like not only do we have to actually put forth good legislation uh, about crypto, we have to actually like stop these crazy uh, un unleashed regulators from doing all the crazy stuff that they want to do because Gary Gensler wants to advance his career. I know he knows better. You're so smart to be so, you're too smart to be so stupid. Is mm. the comment he said? I know. Gary Gensler and members of the SEC know know better, but like they are really hampering this industry. What you just said is like uh, Gensler wanting everybody who ever issues any kind of token whatsoever to register with some government agency. Imagine if there was like a an internet exchange commission where every time you wanted to launch a website or release a website, you had to register that with like an agency and get their approval, fill out paperwork. Uh, how insane would that be, right? As if, as if, by the way, as if the U.S. controls the entire internet, right? One of the reasons that gets me so excited about crypto is that it drops the cost of token issuance down to zero. Um, and if we want to preserve that feature, that really cool feature about crypto, we can't just have the SEC raise the cost of asset issuance by throwing you in jail and fining you. Uh, and so if we really want this industry to maximally express itself based off of its abilities, like we can't, the whole point about an ERC-20 token or ERC-721 is anyone can make them. Uh, and so we need to make sure that our regulations actually empower these new systems to do the best thing that they can do 
without just like, you know, kind of nipping it in the bud in some accidental way by just adding on costs to something that Ethereum is inherently trying to lower the costs of. Yeah, the the other thing is like the arguments against crypto, and there's easy to find, right? There's like scammers and there's, you know, hackers and the pipeline hack like made big news and that was like security. It's so dumb and short-sighted to like think about trying to handicap the entire like technology as a result of these things. Like, hey, there's bad people on the internet. Like, are we going to shut down the internet as a result? How short-sighted and how dumb would that be? Okay, so actually, I, I, I didn't, we didn't have enough time for me to do continue the devil's advocate question, but he talked about, he to me that point, right? Like, there's bad people on the internet. It's not just crypto. But the difference with that and what he, uh, Representative Emmer didn't bring up is that because these are financial systems and financial public utilities, which like people like Rohan Gray and Elizabeth Warren are concerned that like if these things break, they'll have cascading impacts upon innocent people, right? So yeah, there are bad people on the internet and their actions actually could like, um, it's like a, the words like, you know, contagion is financial contagion, right? And so he didn't make that point, which I think is still like something worth addressing. Like the bad actors of these shadowy super coders of which we actually did find one the other day uh, might actually have contagion that impacts like, you know, I don't know, the 401k of like some granny somewhere. Yeah, I mean, like what about the financial contagion of like a um, central bank policy that is continuing to print money, you know? Like um, there, you know, I... But Ryan, guess, we gotta we gotta print the stimmy checks, right? It's it's just like um, I I think I think I think it's very short sighted. And I think like I I do think he's right that people in Congress are are um, back in you know 2014 when they're talking about this uh, space entirely, like as if it's drug dealer money. And and hopefully a lot of that can be changed with with education. But there, are, I guess you know part of the point is there's always going to be bad actors you can find on the internet and like bad cases of, you know, crypto being, being used. And so anyone who's anti-crypto is going to use these cases whenever possible. That's why it was like, uh, you, you brought up very specifically the, um, the Wonderland thing mm. where you have like a convicted felon right. who is actively a manning. A multi-sig signer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. many, An account manager. Yeah. And exit scamming is like community right. as he's exit scammed many things in the past. And that reflects very poorly on crypto, right. of course. Um, and it's hard to defend. Like, how how do you defend? How would you defend something like that to somebody who who is like Elizabeth Warren, who's like, "Hey, I told you about sh shadowy super coders. Here's one convicted felon, completely anonymous. He can just go change his name, change his identity on Twitter, and mm -hmm. disappear. Use Tornado Cash in order to do that, and poof, like gone in a smoke. And shouldn't there be some accountability?" How many like and you want you want this to actually spread beyond the DeFi degens right. into like Granny's you know four hundred one k like no we're not gonna let that happen like what do you say to something like that right yeah it, I think the the most pragmatic response is that there is no such thing as like heaven on earth there are bad things that happen like there are impurities and imperfections everywhere people are imperfect and congrats elizabeth warren you got one um find me a second because i can find you like a hundred and a th or a thousand really interesting really good products that are, that 
are either concretely doing good for the world or have the um, underpinnings of helping, just helping scale goodness. Uh, and so, like, it would be weird if actually we didn't have any imperfections or or like flaws in this industry. And yes, there are byproducts to dropping the cost of, of an experimentation down to zero. Yes, there are also costs of having a financial system that does not gatekeep based on identity or KYC information or people's backgrounds. There are costs to that. Yet, like, do we really, do you really want to like measure the, and stack up the costs versus the benefits? Because that will absolutely go in crypto's favor. I, I, uh... Another thing that we talked about that we touched on was, um, you know, China's lead over the U.S. in in terms of a central bank digital currency, and I I very much feel like there is a fork in the road for every single country, every single you know uh, world power, which is, um, do you choose a controlled central bank digital currency, digital currency, or do you do you choose a free and open digital currency? Like, what do you build on? Do you build on your national blockchain network as China is doing with full state surveillance and censorship uh, capabilities? Or you, do you build something that's a bit more like cash, like a free, open, you know, private, ideally, uh, protocol? And every country is going to have to make this choice. What's crazy to me, David, is that the US thinks that it can just skate by and do nothing and not even make the choice, right? I, this week, um, a whole bunch of members of Congress, politicians, uh, some of them you know, pro-crypto, but some of them not, were up in arms about um, China, like uh, American athletes using China's digital yuan at the Winter Olympics, right? And I'm just like, what did you expect would happen? Okay, like China, 2014, yep, we're building a central bank digital currency on our own like blockchain, Ch- you know, the U.S., uh, we're holding hearings in Congress. Mm-hmm. China, two years later, we've rolled out the beta, you know, like we're doing this thing. The and U.S., then, we're I writing guess, a white paper. I guess we'll have another hearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think would happen? Mm-hmm. This is what's so infuriating about being, um, I guess, a citizen of the U.S. It's like we have this internet-sized opportunity. And like if you're going to cho- if you're going to make a choice, like – at least China's doing something. You know what I mean? Like instead, what we get in the US is this, said it before, half-assed authoritarianism mm-hmm. where we just like don't do anything really well rather than doubling down on like free open protocols and being like, look, this is a free society's answer to your digital currency. And we think the world is going to opt in, prefer this answer, right? What do they do? Nothing. Right. Like, White papers, nothing, and then maybe veer into this like shitty authoritarian kind of thing that they might be doing, might not be. Like, don't try to out authoritarian the CCP. Like, they're gonna crush <laughs> us. Like, what are you doing? I, I do think um, the paralysis in our government has kind of led to our, our government regulators can't see a better future and help legislate it into existence. They can only see bad things that are happening and then, and then tell us no. Um, they don't have an ability to enable us to say, say yes, they have no foresight. There's like something happened. Do we want to say no to that? There's no moon mission. There's no, like, there's nothing like that anymore. Right. So their answer is tell them no, or tell them nothing. It seems to be the only two paths for, (laughs) for like our government guidance for its people is like, 
Uh, Does that get in our way? No. Okay. They they can keep doing it. Does that get in our way? Yes. All right. Tell them no. There's no yes path. Uh, And like the, when the conversation about like, do we want a CBDC to be uh, centrally operated and centrally controlled by a, a central government? Or do we want that same CBDC to kind of be like Pandora's box where they make the system, it's truly open, it's truly permissionless, it's truly private, and they unleash it upon the world. And they do that because they understand the values and the principles of the system that they created. And they are trusting in its citizenry that it's okay to give them privacy tools and it's okay to to break down the barriers of accessing and developing on it rather than having this centrally controlled and operated where like, oh no, this is only for us, but use our system, but it's only for us. And like, it's really about the difference of pushing complexity to the margins or keeping control at the center where like one of the reasons why Ethereum as a network grows so fast is it because it allows the margins to develop and access and iterate on it where a centrally controlled CBDC is just for the centrally controlled operators that don't like, no, you, no, you can't operate on it. Like the features are the features you're going to use it though. Um, and so like the way, the, the way to be a Chinese central bank digital currency is to embed the values of American principles, open, free access, cash, like private settlements, and then trust the American people with it. And so like one of the big lessons I learned from Andrew Yang about, uh, the the principles behind UBI is that like the, the relationship between a government and a citizenry when UBI happens is that the government just gives its citizenry like $2,000 a month no questions asked. Say, hey, I trust you with this money. I don't care where you go spend it. You don't have to report to me how you spent this money. It's for you. You are the best uh, judgment of where this money goes, and I don't care how you use it. And like that, that relationship of trust between the government and the people is really, really powerful and completely missing. And I see that same potential relationship of trust between if the government decides to allow us to use these open systems in the way that we want to use them because we see what's best for ourselves, not the government, rather than the government being like, oh, are, are they using it for what we think is good? No. All right, let's ban it. Why should the go- like, and why should the government be in a position to allow or disallow? Like, all we're asking for is take cash where we have the same ability and then make it digital. Don't add all of the surveillance infrastructure. Don't take away our rights. Just add cash and make it digital. The, I think I think people in uh, Congress are like, like not Congress necessarily, but like people in the U.S. government are way overthinking this, like totally overthinking this. Mm-hmm. We already have exactly what we need in place. They're called stable coins. They're free and they're they're open. They're permissionless on permissionless rails. Yes, <laughs> right. They have audits behind them. So no one can get hurt. If you want to tighten those audits a little bit, okay. Don't make everyone who issues a stablecoin a bank, though. Let that experiment run. Export that to the entire world on on whatever network wins, whether that's Ethereum or whether that's Tron, right? Whatever network wins, you can just export these digital dollars all over the world, right? And like, uh, we also have DeFi experiments at play. So let that play out, too. That's all we need. They like, should encourage every single commercial bank to issue a stablecoin. Because or, not, it, or just let it play out. Just like let it play out. Like we can do this. We, we, no one in crypto is going to the government and being like, oh, please, can you build us a like a blockchain network? Can you help? Can you do this? <laughs> all we're saying is like, get out of the way. Yes. We already have what we want. We have what we want. 
And yes, of course, like there are some things, some protection measures that we want to embed in particularly like centralized stable coins where there's a trusted intermediary in place like USDC. We have that. And like, let us go build this and export this to the rest of the world. What's in it for you, big US government? You get a whole new banking system that you can export. What do you have to do to maintain that? Become the be- Maintain your position as the best possible money. That's mm-hmm. what you have to do. That's but, it, man. But contagion, Ryan. Contagion. I mean, it, what's crazy to me is like they still want to run um, what they're doing. Like they, they think that the U.S. can remain a dominant uh, reserve currency when it's using fax machines and the world is transitioned to like right. the, the digital internet. And like it's just not going to happen. I, I do think that part of this is uh, I love people like Chris Giancarlo. I, I love people like Representative uh, Emmer, of course, and they, they're kind of an older generation. But I do feel like part of this is uh, the geritocracy of like our Congress representatives are very old, mm. right? Mm. Our president is very, very old. Very, very old. Very old. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Uh, they were. They weren't birthed on the internet, the way younger generations were. If you look at like, you know, Bill Clinton and Al Gore when the internet was rising, like younger Congress. This is when baby boomers were like young, and they adopted uh, these new technologies, which with much more fervor. And I, I worry that that's part of what's happening. Is like we're just we got an older generation in there and they're not thinking ahead at all. And they're just like, you know, not able to use this technology. Can't even think they can't even contemplate it. And so, you know, they're scared of it. I don't know. Anyways, I think that was a good debrief. (laughs) Anything else to say? You're going to read this book. It's Hayek book. I I have a lot of books to read. What's in your queue? Uh, I just got, uh, recommended this book. Everyone is coming. Uh, and I think it's just about, I, I just started it. It's just about how, uh, you know, for first, it, you know, you know, that meme that we reference every now and then where there's some lone person dancing at a rave and then he's yeah. just dancing alone for like 30 minutes. And then two minutes later, uh, after he's been alone dancing two for 30 minutes, two, yeah. yeah, a few other adopters. And then all of a sudden, every, yeah. So it's a book about that phenomenon. Um, like, uh, I also dynamics, social dynamics. Yes, a little bit. And also adoption dynamics, S curve of adoption type stuff. Uh, also, uh, I recently finished Humankind, uh, which is uh, a book that came to mind while talking with uh, Emmer about how um, humans are inherently good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to the author and see if I can get him on a layer zero because like, if you, we can convince people that humans are inherently good, I think that really kickstarts a, a conversation that I've been trying to kickstart for forever about how human values end up being embedded into the protocols that we design. I know like if I, if I can convince people that all people are inherently good, most people are inherently good. Uh, we can start to consider these things as we build our, our protocols. Yeah. I feel like you have to convince me a little bit more of that. Like I think <laughs> I, so maybe I'll read this book too. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll read this book. Are you doing like audiobooks? Uh, yes, primarily, only, only audio. Yes, it's the only way I can get through books these days. Yeah, me too. Same with podcasts. It's just like yeah. that's the way. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's a debrief, guys. That's Hope you debrief. enjoyed it. Thanks for hanging with us. Thanks for being a premium member. <laughs> David, the applause. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the applause button at some points. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. We'll talk to you later.